0: Lions Towers and Shields on the Incomparable Network. And I'm Shelley Brisbane, your host. This is episode 20, Christmas in Connecticut. Hey, what happened to episode 20, Detour, you may ask? Most of you aren't asking, but a couple of you are because the last time I was here, I said, next time we're going to watch Detour. Well, it's getting up on toward the holiday season and I decided to move things around a little bit. And we've already talked about Detour and you'll hear that podcast early in 2021. The Edward G. Ulmer 1945 film noir Detour is a thrill and a delight. And uh, we had a good time talking about it. We're going to talk about Christmas in Connecticut today, and then in a couple of weeks from now, we're going to talk about the Barbara Stanwyck movie, Ball of Fire. So December is apparently a Barbara Stanwyck month here at Lions Towers and Shields, but that's not a bad thing, is it? We talked about just converting the show into a Barbara Stanwyck tribute podcast, and I don't know, I suppose we could do that at some point, but for now, she just owns the month of December. It's been a while since I've had movie news and sightings for you, so let me go through some Blu-ray releases that are... Some of these are pretty good, actually. Uh, I've built some up over time. Uh, They aren't all of the ones that have been released since last time we did this, but since, uh, I guess, uh, late November, actually. So, these are all new Blu rays. Many of them have been on DVD before, but I'm just announcing the Blu rays to you. Uh, the Lost Weekend, the Billy Wilder Ray Milland movie about alcoholism, which uh, I recommend. It's pretty good. I've thought about doing that on the show, it is now on Blu ray uh, from Kino Lorber. Libeled Lady, if you're a fan of screwball comedy at all, if you like MGM production values, if you like William Powell or Gene Harlow or Myrna Loy or Spencer Tracy. Libel Lady is a great movie, and it's so exciting to see it on Blu-ray. It's been on DVD for quite some time, and I enjoy it a lot. That's from Warner Archive, as is The Pirate, a Judy Garland musical from the late 1940s. Uh, Lots of costumes and fanciful numbers, and I believe that's a Technicolor one, although don't quote me. You can't prove I said that right. You don't have a recording or anything. Uh-oh. Well, that's a problem. Also, We're No Angels, Humphrey Bogart movie from the 50s from Paramount. This is a comedy with bogey, so uh, do with that what you will. Also, Attack from uh, Jack Palance from Kina Lorber. And finally, the ultimate Rita Hayworth collection from Mill Creek, probably the first Blu-ray release, so that's fun. Sightings, let's talk about a couple of TCM things going on in December. The star of the month is Shelley Winters. And if you know who Shelley Winters is at all, uh, first of all, you're probably as old as me and you remember her from the Poseidon adventure or you remember her from being on uh, Johnny Carson's show or other late night shows as sort of a, a gadfly who the thing about Shelley Winters that a lot of people liked is that she would tell her secrets or whether they were real secrets, or whether they were secrets, things she was bragging about or not. She she liked to talk about her life. But the thing people don't know, unless they're old movie nerds, is that she actually had a career as an ingenue and a femme fatale in the late 40s and early 50s. And it's kind of a revelation to see her in that period. And what's really interesting about her as an actress is the degree of vulnerability and need and edge that her, her performances has. She always seems like she wants or needs something that the guy in the movie uh, is not going to give her. And uh, it's, it's delightful to see that TCM is spotlighting her. Also, because it's December, there are a lot of holiday movies on TCM, and I'm linking to a post not from TCM but from another site called Christmas Countdown that lists the holiday movies that TCM is playing throughout December. The thing to know about TCM is that they don't repeat movies as often as, say, a lot of basic cable stations do. I mean, you got to fill 24 hours so you repeat things a lot. There are a handful of movies, four or five, that TCM is playing multiple times during the holiday season, and one of those is actually Christmas in Connecticut, the movie we're talking about today. So I thought I would just go over when Christmas in Connecticut is playing on TCM in case you can't or don't want to stream it from the resources that I'm providing in the show notes, Uh, you can see Christmas in Connecticut at the following times. All of these are Eastern United States times, by the way. On December 6th, it'll be airing at 6 p.m. On December 22nd, at 8 p.m. On December 24th, also at 6 p.m. The full list of Christmas countdown. The full list of TCM holiday movies will be in the show notes from Christmas Countdown, as well as the reminder of these Christmas in Connecticut showings. And now let's dig into Christmas in Connecticut. Once again, we're doing a crossover with our friends over at the Agents of Smooch, a wonderful podcast here on The Incomparable. And if you're not already subscribed to it, what is wrong with you? Please go over and subscribe right now. Not so that you can hear this episode on that podcast as well, but so that you can hear all of the other wonderful things they do at Agents of Smooch. And I am not just saying that because the director of the Agents of Smooch, Annette Wierstra, is here with us today. Hello. It is why she's saying that. I forced her. <laughs> I am drunk with power. <laughs> it was it was painful. She told me I couldn't be on any more incomprehensible, conceivable uh, Agents of Smooch podcast if I didn't, you know, suck up. <laughs> but anyway, also joining us, David J. Lohr. Welcome back.
1: Merry Christmas. Don't mention it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So we're talking about the 1945 film Christmas in Connecticut. And before we get going, I should say a few things about how this came to be. And thanks to the Incomparable members who helped make it possible as well. We were talking about movies to talk about the holiday season. We were talking about Christmas crossover possibilities with Agents of Smooch. And I had several movies in mind and others in the Incomparable family had some movies in mind. So what we did was we made a poll and we gave members of the Incomparable Network the chance to in the Slack channel, which is one of the uh, perks of being a member of The Incomparable, we gave them the chance to choose among five movies. And Christmas in Connecticut was the runaway choice of many people in that poll, as well as the members who participated, some of whom are here with us and some of whom are not, but they'll get to hear the show. So Christmas in Connecticut was by far the favorite, and I'm happy to chat with you about it. Also, coming up soon will be a podcast about the remake of Christmas in Connecticut, because this whole conversation's to remake, you say? I'll get to it. <laughs> this whole conversation began when we did our member draft podcast, uh, where we drafted uh, classic film characters for the benefit of incomparable members see another member benefit go out there and join or give a membership to a friend for the holidays why don't you and uh, we were talking about the remake of Christmas in Connecticut a thing I had never heard of Uh, but yes indeed in 1992 there was a remake directed by Arnold Schwarzenegger and I will say no more except that there's going to be a podcast about it coming up real soon and you don't want to miss it
1: I I may have voted about Five or six or thirty times. I'm just, I'm just saying. I, <laughs> I like the this ballot movie. box.
0: I like this movie. <laughs> I almost just said, David, why don't you talk about the movie just by yourself? I'll give you the keys to the Lions Towers and Shields Lamborghini, and you can just go and Ooh, do it by yourself. But... oh man. Nobody, <laughs> oh, I was supposed to say that out loud me. once I. Yeah, because I brought so many members into the network. Jason got <laughs> me a car. Not true. Not true at all. Uh, I'd like to this meet the podcast. Of Top Gear. <laughs> well, back to 1945 we go for Christmas in Connecticut, released by Warner Brothers, directed by Peter Godfrey, not a director I'm particularly familiar with, but uh, it stars Barbara Stanwyck, another Barbara Stanwyck movie because. This is just to torment Dr. Drang, who doesn't like Barbara Stanwyck, but everybody else does, so we just do nothing but Barbara Stanwyck movies. And guess what? (laughs) Spoiler alert. There's another one coming up! Yeah! (laughs) (coughs) So we have Barbara Stanwyck. We have uh, Dennis Morgan. uh, We have Sidney Greenstreet. Wait, this is a comedy, and Sidney Greenstreet is in it? What is up with that?
1: Yes, yes. He's he's delightful.
0: (laughs) He is delightful. We also have Reginald Gardner. We have S.Z. Sakal, otherwise known as Cuddles. And you, Uno Connor, who uh, is is also delightful, all sorts of delightful people in this movie. Would you all not yeah, agree? I do
1: agree. Oh, it's a lovely cast. It's a lovely cast. I mean, not not to spoil anything, I'll wait till the end. But Sydney Greenstreet has one of my favorite line deliveries of all time <laughs> at the end of the movie.
0: Um, I think I know the one you mean. And, <laughs> and
1: of course, Cuddles, Cuddles, come on! I, I've quoted Uncle Felix. I don't know how many times over the years, um, I've worked. I've worked references to Uncle Felix's lines from this movie in in multiple radio theater episodes.
0: He's just wow. That's good to know. I need to go to your back catalog yeah, in that case. Every geez.
1: one one of the things that my Nikola Tesla says a lot is everything's hunky-dunky. <laughs> <laughs> he just does. It's fine. Everything's hunky-dunky. And I remember at the time, Glenn saying, "What does that mean?" It's like, well, there's this movie. Um, and confusing,
0: Glenn. That's fun. That's a bonus.
1: Oh yeah. Well, that's that's my um, my ulterior motive in doing that show. <laughs> um, and and for incomparable uh, listeners who are fans of comic books, it also features um, Robert Shane, who is probably he's one of those it's that guy guys. He's in a lot of films where he's uncredited, and he's very very briefly in the beginning of this movie. Uh, he's also Inspector Hamilton on the 1950s The Adventures of Superman series, and he's delightful. He has this very distinctive voice and delivery. If you've ever watched that show, you'll know him in a second.
0: I left that one for you especially. Yay! Thank so we you. got the Superman connection. So Someday a we'll delightful a, cast. A <laughs> yeah. <episode. Anyway. laughs> right. <Anyway. laughs> Wrong podcast. I'm, I'm not going to start
1: singing it. I
0: <laughs> no, promise. Okay. Maybe. Uh, I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Christmas in Connecticut takes place partially in Connecticut, but it begins on a raft in the middle of the ocean. Well, it doesn't. Well, begins well, it begins does. in
1: submarine and a ship. Then a submarine.
0: Yes, quickly. Quickly, we end up on a, a raft. But I should, I should quickly back up to say this was released in August of 1945. At least one source says it was made in 1944, which is not too uncommon. But we're entering right at the end, in terms of release date, right at the end of World War II, and it's a Christmas movie that was released in August. But because the war was coming to an end, the the United States was in this sort of post war. A euphoria, and so there, to the extent that there is a war theme in the movie, there's a, a the guy who's on the submarine who ends up in the raft because his ship is attacked. Uh, he's he's a military guy, but we're very much in post war. We're talking about consumer goods and home furnishings and how to how to cook a Christmas dinner pipes. and all that stuff. A lot of talk about pipes.
2: <laughs> oh like, my God! So much. Shut up, Mister Slater.
1: I don't think I've ever noticed this before because because i you know i've watched this film since i was maybe 8 and i've watched it almost every year since then uh, this is the film i watch when i'm wrapping christmas presents on christmas eve in fact and i don't think i've ever noticed this before because i because i went okay when's the date i did all the research i'm like 1945 but much of the story is you know well it's it's the women who are working their, it's their war jobs and then the men are off in the military and we're doing the, the war bonds benefit and all these things. And then there's like one or two scenes where, where Sloan brings up, this will be very important in the post-war era. These are post-war things, post-war post-war. And then the rest of the movie just treats it like it's still during world war two. It's really weird. I, I wonder if they did any, any kind of finessing when they said, Hey, we, we better release this now.
0: Well, the thing that happened, at least from my... And I listened to a fair bit of old-time radio. And the thing that started to happen in late 44, early 45, Mm. was that advertisers talked about post-war because the war started going a lot better for the U.S. after D-Day. And so advertisers were like, well, when the war's over, we can sell you cars and we can sell you stereos and we can sell you refrigerators. And also they were going to be able to get materials that they couldn't get during the war. So post-war, before the war even ended was totally like a thing mm. from a commerce point of view. But but I am intri- intrigued by the idea that it was made like a year before the war was over yeah. because it doesn't feel that way. It feels like the war is still I mean they talk about ration points at one point right. which probably were still going on in August of 1945, but it feels like though the war exists and it's a reality, it's a reality that's going to mm-hmm. end soon. Yeah, I didn't really know cuz
2: I don't do a lot of research. I just assumed it was like right Post-war where you still have that shadow of the war is still sitting heavily on people, but it didn't seem to me. I didn't feel like they were in war. It was just like the veterans are coming home. We're starting to get back to normal and we're going to all have a lot of pipes and heating in our house.
0: Yeah, it was really focused on the all that post—and all, all the sort of nesting that people are famous for having mm-hmm. done after World War II ended. Nesting and buying things.
1: But the story does start with a German U-boat sinking a mm-hmm. ship. It does. So.
0: And they were they were and, in a veterans yes, hospital was, in the beginning, yeah. dreaming of
2: good food. Yeah. Right.
1: In a really, really, really long opening. <laughs> oh,
0: it was a very long opening. Uh, it takes, and, and it takes like 15 funny.
1: minutes to get to Barbara
0: Stanwyck. Yeah, it begins. See, that's the thing. You're waiting for Barbara yeah. Stanley, but but it, it begins. And yeah, are we, is it a war movie called Christmas in Connecticut? Oh my goodness. Because there's headlines about boats sinking and stuff. And then you see Dennis Morgan and his buddy uh, out on the raft for 18 days. And all Dennis Morgan can talk about is what he's going to eat when he gets home, which I think makes sense.
2: The dream of the restaurant on the raft was quite funny to me.
1: Yes, it was. that was a nice touch. It was it was better than the cliche of you know him looking at his buddy and picturing like a giant talking pork chop,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> which was also popular back then.
0: He seems very focused on food in the in a way that Sydney Greenstreet will remind us of later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have gotten to eat all the things you dreamt of, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly, and, and Sydney looks like he's eaten them. Dennis looks like he hasn't gotten to eat all of them yet. <laughs> <laughs> So, so we, so Dennis Morgan uh, gets obviously uh, is is safe and sound, and he ends up in a veterans hospital. And there's this whole long part of the opening where he oh. and his buddy are trying to figure out how to get better food from the nurses than they otherwise would, and uh, his buddy advises Dennis to basically convince this, his nurse that he's going that he wants to marry her and then she'll give him all the good food he could possibly have. What? So you got to use the old magoo, Jeffy
1: boy, the old magoo. <laughs> the magoo. And then when he... I don't
0: know if that's a real expression or not. <laughs> it's very 40s sounding.
1: <laughs> well, and then when when he does finally succeed at that and she brings him food and then he goes oh 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 and we watch his buddy grab a bedpan and run off screen. And again, this is one that cracks me up every year. I'm like, nothing nothing puts you in a festive holiday spirit, like your lead actor throwing up. (laughs) And as much as I love this movie, the opening is so long and you know, and they are setting up exposition. They're setting up all these details. And then the next scene, when they get to it pops in all this detail and gets through it in about five minutes. And you're like, why wasn't the first part that fast? Stop it! Well,
0: because now we're in New York with uh, happy, peppy, uh, smart, click dialogue people. I guess yeah. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. you're right. The, the ironically, when the uh, the beginning part was going on t- today, I rewatched and took notes and stuff like that. But during the beginning part, I was making my own lunch, so I guess it didn't seem quite so long because I wasn't paying as much attention, nor did I feel the need to take as many notes. Yeah, <laughs> I was t- I was timing
1: it because it's it's again it's not this is not a movie I've watched in depth or detail like this before. Uh, although I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, you sit down and say, "Hey, I'd love to write a, mo- a musical. What would I do?" And this is on my list. This would be a great stage musical. It's it's a it fun would. story, and it's the it's all the mistaken identity. It's very Shakespearean that mm-hmm. way, and and but even then. I always felt the opening was long. And yeah, it's it's 15
2: minutes. You only need one song for that part when you do that musical.
0: <laughs> just one song and you have probably I'm got it. Sitting on a raft yeah. wishing for a pork chop. Yeah,
1: you know, and it just goes on and on. And, and yes, it is important to build up. You know, it's kind of like Harry Lime. You need to hear who Elizabeth Lane is and why she's so important and the whole mythology of Elizabeth Lane, the, the great farmsteader, housewife, cook, the Martha Stewart of 1945. And yeah,
0: I love that she forgets all the details yes. of her life when we when she goes through all of this stuff about mistaken <laughs> idea, you know, like, oh, yeah, let's here's our scam. We're going to be <laughs> go out on a farm. But she can't remember the stuff that was in last month's issue.
1: It's just it's a beautiful setup for that. It, it, it is, in a way, it's a little bit meta about how dumb these kind of plots can be.
0: <laughs> and she is uh, she is assisted by her uncle, Felix, who owns... Uh, I, I want to go to Felix's restaurant, by the way. I really so do. do. Why? Oh, that great. seems like a great and place, not only to eat, but just to socialize and hang out. They have a full bar. There's music.
1: Speaking of Harry Lime, they have a zither. They <laughs> yeah. have a zither!
0: As one does, I'm I guess. So
1: excited every time. Yeah. It's like you're playing the wrong song. Stop.
0: That's <laughs> a little later. No, no, no. Da, 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 a little, da, da, little, da, da, little, da, little darker tone movie than this one is. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, so Uncle Felix is the secret to uh, Barbara's success because he's doing all the work. But she still has to write it. This is what yeah. I don't get. Like even if she can't cook yeah. it, she should remember enough of the details having – because she apparently has a quite the turn of phrase. That's her skill is that she can take – something that she knows little about. And, and I don't know where she gets her her guidance on farming and wife wifely duties and being a mom and all that stuff, because Felix is probably not helping her with that stuff. Well, and she imagined John Sloan's
2: farm as her fictional home. So she had right. sort of like a basis in reality for like spinning it. So maybe she just knew enough about the cow and putting it. She and didn't know that much because she was saying good, it wouldn't go to bed until it, she said good night to it. I don't think cars. I, I gather that a way. lot
1: of the a lot of the detail work is just sort of like on the fringes, and yeah. it's the cooking that's the main yeah. thing. It's like, oh, and while I look out across the the, the ranch to see Makushla off in the barn, I made this wonderful roast pheasant, <laughs> and and then goes on about the pheasant, and and I love I love the line where Felix is first talking to her and and she says, Maybe maybe I should learn to cook like you. And he goes, No, no, don't cook. It's not it's not the way you write it. It's not fun and light and happy. It's cooking. Just don't
2: cook. She's like a you, you restaurant reviewer where she's pretending yeah. to cook the food too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. <laughs> like I say, I think her I, I think her superpower is spinning a story. Like and did and you don't really yes. see that in her spoken presentation because those details don't stick with her. But when they have little excerpts of her writing, it's like, yeah, that's what she's good at. She's a food blogger. And, she's mm-hmm. the food, was we, we were talking the other day on a show, and I can't remember uh, about uh, food blogs that take forever to get to the actual recipe. And I was agreeing that I thought that's ridiculous. all of them. Yeah, it's and that's that's the <laughs> way I imagine Barbara's articles are. That they just take you know she's she's get contracted to do two thousand words and fifteen hundred of it is the prep for the recipe. She'd also have yeah, a pretty I mean, wicked Instagram. Oh yeah, with her fake baby. <laughs>
1: I do I do love how this movie is so good about details like the transition from uh, the nurse talking about uh, Elizabeth Lane and reading Elizabeth Lane. Into here, we see Barbara Stanwyck typing, and she's writing her article. And the the fireplace casting its warmth through the room, and it's it's the radiator blowing off steam. And as I look out the window across the farmstead, and it's you know uh, laundry hanging in the alley because she lives in Manhattan, <laughs> and you know just very very nice little details like that. But then all throughout there are these. Wonderful little uh, details that don't call attention to themselves, but you know at at one point there's there is a running thing about tips and how the different men in her life give tips and it's it's a very important character beat to say, "Oh, this guy's kind of a jerk, and this is a really good guy." but they don't draw any attention to it. It's just it's just there.
0: I f- am fascinated by the way the characters actually live versus the way they pretend to live. So so Sloane, the architect, yes. who despite his talk about triple wall insulation and pipes and everything, it seems like a weird place for him to live. I, I, I can get that he would make the house exactly in his architectural image, but he doesn't seem like the sort who would have a cow. What's up with that? Do you think, <laughs> I was
2: interpreting it as That's like his country home, and he probably also has a place in New York. I I would imagine. Yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I I would think so. I just think it's interesting that he – I mean, there's all sorts of country places. Like I guess the cow is what I don't get. Like he's living in (laughs) small town Connecticut, and he's got a cow and a a feisty Irish housekeeper who's just like, all right, whatever you guys are going to do, that's fine. Just don't mess up my kitchen, you know? And then Barbara lives, and she's 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 working for a living. She's quite famous, but she's by no means wealthy. It's a big deal that she saved up for this mink coat. And Felix is like, uh, you sure? you Is that really what you want to do with your money? She's like, yeah, baby, that's totally what I want to do. But she's not living Nobody in needs the- needs a mink coat, but the mink. <laughs> I
2: agree she's... with you, Uncle Felix. <laughs> I do too.
0: She's not living in the in the lap of luxury, or do they, do they go out of the way? And I guess- Part of it, I, I don't know if it's economy or not, but think about it. You're only in that apartment set for like two scenes and then you've moved the whole shebang out to the farm in Connecticut. So mm-hmm. I suppose there is some, you know, there's no reason to overdress the set.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, I there's there's the delivery guy who brings a rocking chair and there are already eight rocking chairs. And she goes, no, 38 there are more in the basement
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah by that by that point um so uncle felix has brought her breakfast and is sort of kibitzing with her and then her editor shows up and there's robert shane you'll know his voice oh my god he he, he should have had more fast talking roles oh my god um and the two of them rat tat so much exposition about their lives and their situation it's I, oh. And he's literally in it for just that, that, you know, maybe six or seven minutes. And I kind of miss him for the rest of the movie. Yeah,
0: and it's interesting because you think when you see him that there are a lot of movies where – the, the lead has some sort of gray love interest and then she meets the man she's supposed to be with and when you first see Robert Shane that's what you think, oh he's the guy she's probably been kind of dating and he wants to marry her but she's not really all that interested but that's not his role at all and he's got he's right. in another scene a little later when they get to the to the farm because he's part of, you know, trying to work out this this deal so that because he knows exactly, he knows all Elizabeth Lane's secrets basically and, and he's sort of the go-between between her and Sydney Greenstreet, who doesn't, and he's trying to make the scam come off. And and he, like Sloan later on, has an interest in perpetuating the fiction for his own financial well-being.
1: Yeah, he's he's married. He has kids. You wouldn't do this to me and my children right before
0: <laughs> Christmas.
1: You have to go and talk Yardley out oh, of
0: this. Oh, the
2: the my wife was telling me what we were getting our kids for Christmas. Yes, fling fling. <laughs> Please don't do this. And
1: so all through that first portion of the movie, too, like when the editor shows up, when Dudley shows up and and Felix is leaving and Felix says, Merry Christmas. And Dudley turns and goes, don't mention it. And they just keep going. Every use of Merry Christmas up until a certain point is just sarcastic. (laughs) It's delightful. It's true. Oh, my God. You know, and and, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other one was. There's another one early on. Um, but yeah, it's just how that, that just sort of passes from character to character. Oh, and when Sloan shows up at the apartment, too, there's a Merry Christmas. And so, yeah, whatever. Um, it is it is one of the most delightfully malicious Christmas movies ever made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and even later on when we get to the bucolic farm and stuff, they they really don't lay the sort of holiday... Saccharin on too thick there's a Mm-mm. tiny bit yeah. of it but in a lot of other movies it would be thick you you couldn't walk through it it would just be terrible oh, and, yeah. and I appreciate and that it's not
1: it's it's very tart and sly which you don't expect in Christmas movies
2: and it's not a major and part of the theme or story either yeah. it's sort of a backdrop
0: yeah yeah
1: I mean it it is the MacGuffin for why they're all in mm-hmm. this but it's not really a big deal outside of that, but then you do get you get an actual sleigh ride.
0: Yes, you do. How many
1: movies have that?
0: I, and it's and I like it because the horse is standing in front of the the dance, and uh, they're just like, let's let's just sit in the sleigh. Okay, we won't go anywhere. And then of course it's untied, so they they end up four miles away because they don't know how to. Neither of them know how to stop the. The one thing Dennis <laughs> Morgan does not know how to do apparently is stop that horse because he can do everything else in it. <laughs> <way. laughs>
1: There is there is one moment where he's like, you know, oh, I'm really competent at this. And she's like, oh, I'll leave you to it. And then you see that Dennis Morgan clearly cannot. <laughs> <laughs>
2: is it bathing babies? <laughs> well, it's when he
1: goes to put the diaper on the baby and he folds it just right. But then he starts putting it on upside down and they cut away. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> I'm like, that's not where the point of the triangle goes,
0: Dennis. It's not, buddy. Well, even though he's, he's anyway. bathed his sister's kids or whatever prior experience he's had. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so basically, uh, Alexander Yardley, uh played by Sidney Greenstreet, is a stickler for the truth and authenticity, and and he can tell a fraudulent story at a glance, right? And he has gotten a letter from the nurse who cured his what his grandchild from measles or something? I th- I think something. Was it. And and she's the one who says, you know, I know this hero sailor who survived on this raft for 18 days and he would love to visit Elizabeth Lane. And that would just be such a wonderful gesture to a war hero, wouldn't it? And he gets this letter. And I swear his, his butler really should be Eric Bloor. Might as well be Eric Bloor. I thought
0: the same thing. And yeah. he only has one it's, scene as well, and I did a double take, like, "Oh, that's not Eric Bloor, but it's Eric Bloor.
1: <laughs> he's he's sort of like your off-brand generic store brand <laughs> Eric floor. He's like, "Yes, yes, sir. This this is the Oddly Residence, yes." And it's like, yeah, maybe they just wanted it toned down. I don't know, uh, but yeah, he he gets this letter and he gets this brilliant idea because he's all about publicity too. What if what if we invite the war hero? to elizabeth lane's country farmhouse in connecticut for a proper christmas that's a great idea and so he's the one who calls dudley who gets into a panic because he knows there's no farmhouse and there's no wife, a husband and no baby or any of this stuff and so he's he says to elizabeth you have to go and talk him out of this and she goes well that's your job because no, no 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 he wants to see you you have to do this she goes, but you're such a better liar than I am. Says, yeah, It doesn't matter. He wants you. So she goes out to Yardley's mansion. And, of course, cannot get a word in edgewise. And she's wearing her mink coat, which is going to cost six months' salary that she doesn't have yet. So she's that's her security blanket while she's there. And he he not only talks her into this by not letting her talk, he then invites himself to come along. What a great idea. That's a great idea you had, Miss Lane. And so... You know, so she's stuck. She's stuck.
0: Fortunately, she has her boyfriend, Reginald Gardner, who, again, doesn't seem like a kind of guy who would have a farm in Connecticut, who has a farm in Connecticut. And um, she and everybody in this movie is pushy in one way or another. And she's pretty pushy with him and basically is like I mean, she does the thing about, you know, I've decided after all this time, let's get married. Oh, also, we're going to your farm. <laughs> I. I love that what she she says is, I guess
2: if you'll have me knowing how I feel about you, just say yes. <laughs> I didn't even yeah. think they were dating, though. I thought he just liked her and was constantly proposing, and she yeah. sort of tolerated his presence. I think
0: that's true, but I mean, he's he's in her life in some yeah, way. Yeah, like she's she
2: around the yeah. good, reliable side. She
0: probably goes to dinner with him sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's like, fine.
2: He orders wine that is very good, but not too expensive, which is my new wine mantra and the only reason why I like you. I'm so I was like, very good. And not, that's well, the dream, isn't it? Exactly. Very good. And I mean, not too Dudley makes
1: fun of him right off the bat mm-hmm. and says, are, are you here to propose again? Because I can ask her and get just as good a no. That's fine. <laughs> it's not going to change anything. So then, when when she finally comes back from Yardley's, and they're all at Restaurant Felix, and they've been waiting for her drinking because they're like, "Oh, where, what else do you oh, do?" Where? And uh, I think there might be another Merry Christmas in there that's very acidic. And she finally shows up, and and they start. Well, you know, I guess I guess I'm gonna lose my job. And and he goes, "Well, you know, you could marry me." And she goes, "Would you?" Would you actually do that, knowing that I, I don't love you? Because I can, I can wait for you. That will come in time. That will come in time. Sounds oh, like no. the most
0: romantic start. Because I ever. am so charming, oh. I'm going to wear you down. <laughs> Talking <laughs> and, about pipes. And
1: this is <laughs> this is not the worst thing he says. No, at it's the not. Of the movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> but then you know, and she's like, well okay. And Dudley walks over and, and she goes, well, congratulate me. I'm getting married. And he goes, wait, wait, you have a farm in Connecticut. This is the best day that's ever happened to me. (laughs) And both of them are like, what, what are you talking about? Dudley's the one who actually puts this together that, Hey, you could just go up to Sloan's farm, you could get married while you're there so you're legitimate and you're not, you know, being immoral at all, and and then you don't have to be lying to Yardley. You do need a baby. That's the only thing that's missing. You need a baby. But outside of that, there's a the thing. And she goes, but I can't cook. He says, ah, take Felix with you. He'll do anything for you. And sure enough, the next thing we see, everybody on a sleigh pulling up to Sloan's farm in Connecticut. And Sloan gives the poor guy a tip of, you know, a dime, maybe. I don't know. Uh, that'll, that'll cost you a dollar, sir. Well, and this is for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they all come in and it's this beautiful farmhouse. It's, it's you know, he's an architect. Fortunately, it beautiful.
0: matches what she's already written about a beautiful right. farmhouse. Now, if only yeah. we can find a baby, but they don't actually think about how they're going to do that, which it it happens that there's one available. So, you know.
1: But John, he's the one who goes, she she goes, I forgot about the baby. He goes, no, you forgot about the baby. I'm an architect. I think of the details. (laughs) (laughs) And it turns out that Nora, his Irish, his very stereotypical Irish maid, don't you know, uh, has been watching babies for the women who go off to work at the war plant. And so every day there's a baby. And he's like, here, there you go,
2: baby. They're
0: pretty Done. interchangeable. Right. And I'm hoping that Nora gets paid for this work, that she's just not doing it because <laughs> she's hanging out, that there's nobody, nothing to do at the house. I'll just watch some babies when they show up. She just needs someone to, to
1: speak her wonderful Irish brogue to. And then,
0: well, and then we have, of course, Felix and Nora are going to have conflict in the kitchen. And so it's the duel of the accents, <laughs> which is delightful. Right this way, Mr. Basternak. Right.
1: <laughs> just call me Felix. <laughs> Felix
0: Pasternak.
1: Whatever you say, Mister Bustamik. Right,
0: and I, I actually—it's been a while since I've seen it, and I—they I, do have some conflict. I thought Nora and Felix might actually have more conflict than they do, but they're still—they're still delightful. And it's <laughs> I thought like... they might have a little side romance, actually. <laughs> right, right. I was like was waiting for that.
1: It's it—it it fits the template. <laughs> yeah,
0: it you does. Know,
1: it, I mean, this is this is basically farce, right? It's all mistaken identities and hiding things and. Shoving people in different rooms to keep them from talking. Speaking
0: of which, so the other detail that the architect hasn't forgotten is to to get a judge to come by and marry them because they've got to be married today. Uh, And at some point uh, right around here, uh, Elizabeth says to him, uh, when you're kissing me, don't talk about plumbing, which is something I've had to say to my spouse once or twice. (laughs) Yeah, you know. And this judge arrives and I actually wrote it down this time because I knew that he comes and he doesn't get to marry them and he goes away and he comes back. And so I made note of every time the judge came and went and under what circumstances because <laughs> I couldn't remember in the abstract, how does this happen? How does he come and go in this way that it's still plausible? And I don't know that it's plausible, so especially jovial. the time when he leaves through the window. But.
1: <laughs> oh, it's a shortcut. Right. Yes, yes, it's a shortcut. Sure, it's a shortcut. Just yeah, sure, Just go. It's wonderful.
2: I I just felt because I haven't seen this. I didn't know the story. I knew nothing about the movie going in. But I was just like surprised at how stressed I felt about. <laughs> stupid Mr. (laughs) Sloan trying to force her into getting married I'm like they can't get married this isn't how it works and it is very much yeah and he was pretty relentless about it like uh, he was he wanted to lock that
0: down is what I thought everybody in this movie is pushy and he's I think for him it's a detail like of course he wants to get to the good part the wedding night and all that but I just think at this point he's like look this is what we said we're gonna do this is the plan you're causing my plan. And not to go work go the way I want it to go.
1: Well, and now if I were adapting this, I, I would kind of play that up a little bit because he is an architect, and if you build on a faulty foundation, everything's going to fall apart. You have to have everything in the proper order as you build it. Yeah, right. And and that is again that's the beauty of farce. I love writing farce, and so it's just it's such a nice. A nice little thing that he's like, no, 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 we have to do this. And then we do this. And then we do this. And oh, yeah, wedding night. Awesome. <laughs> but first. Also, you know, Nora
2: was pretty like judgy and didn't want them in the house bit. together. And definitely not in the same bedroom together unless they were married. So that does <laughs> add true. a little extra pressure. But I was like, oh, he's oh, and, no, he's still. Oh, no, we're still going to try that again. I are mean, we? like he was very he and, wanted to he's wanted to lock it down, I thought.
1: Now another one of those great character moments, where you know they they start just setting up for for a wedding, and the judge says, "Well, isn't there going to be music?" And and Sloane is like, "Oh yeah yeah yeah, I've got I've got just the thing," and he, "I've got I've got a, a record album of the wedding march right here for this purpose," and she says, "Oh, can't we have something like Mozart or just something nice?" He goes, "No, the wedding march is the conventional thing, and that is what we will do," <laughs> and that is. His character right in a nutshell just the conventional thing um and there, I'm, I'm trying to remember when it comes up it's also about uh oh well it's a little bit later when they're talking about the house and how he designed the house and yardley says you know well surely you had input from elizabeth lane for this because oh no no i'm an architect i don't let anyone else interfere with my plans
0: mm-hmm. and
1: there's Again, I, you know, right I thought there. of, I thought of Frank Lloyd Wright. I thought of Howard Rourke from the Fountainhead. I was like, that's that's a sly little joke. And they were making the Fountainhead at Warner Brothers at about the same time. And I'm like, well, also just in case right.
0: you accidentally wanted to root for the romance between Barbara Stanwyck mm-hmm. and Reginald Gardner, there there are any number of reasons why you should not. So. <laughs> <laughs> because Dennis Morgan hasn't quite shown up at this point. He will in a minute. He
1: hasn't quite got in, in seconds. Yes. Really. He in is
2: seconds. Cecil from A Room with a View, if any of you watch or read that. Ah, but yes. he is like very rigid and precise and formal and would also probably be a terrible kisser.
0: <laughs> probably but I think he's, he's weirdly thinking about
1: plumbing the whole time I
0: think he's weirdly miscast because he sort of reminds me more of a Clifton Webb or a Monty Woolley kind of a guy who's sort yeah. of a fastidious Englishman but not I, I think what you want actually is a straight-laced American sort of oppressive nerd guy and I, I don't know I, I think Reginald Gardner does his best but I was trying to think and I didn't really come up with one I was trying yeah. to think who else would have I been mean, better he was just Cecil I like him. Because he's...
1: because it is not what you would expect, right? I, I kind of like that it's a weird casting. It I mean, yeah, it probably should be a, a cut-rate Gary Cooper type. You know, you're a you're third-rate, strong-jawed American <laughs> guy, but... Uh, but I kind of like that it, that it's this uh, Walt Disney looking He's, guy. He
0: does his, I mean, he does his part <laughs> well. I'm, I'm not f- faulting yeah. the actor so yeah. much as the casting, but in any case. So now Dennis Morgan is going to arrive. And this fairly soon after this, because we're introducing uh, uh, Elizabeth Lane as being married to uh, John Sloan and uh, Dennis Morgan, who's I, I, I was fascinated by the names because Dennis Morgan is still in uniform, but he is almost immediately called Mr. Jones and uh, Barbara Stanwyck because she's married. She doesn't introduce herself as Mrs. Sloan, but she says, I'm married to him. So immediately everybody, including Dennis Morgan and Sidney Greenstreet, just call her Mrs. Sloan throughout the whole movie. It's like,
1: OK. Well, at, at first, when when he meets Sloan, he goes, oh, it's good to meet you, Mr. Right, Lane. Right, that's true, too. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm John Sloan. Um, but yeah, he he arrives just in time to break up the ceremony before it begins. Thank goodness! For the
0: first time, turn
1: off the record and shove the judge into the study, <laughs> and you know everybody has to go everywhere. And uh, it's a lovely introduction, and of course it's love at first sight because she takes one look and goes. She's Dennis weak
0: Morgan. in the knees oh, from yeah. the minute
2: she sees him. There is very yeah. good eye gazing between those oh, two. Yes. I I find, and perhaps because I've been watching a lot of Hallmark. Lifetime style movies where the major <laughs> flaw in a lot of them is there's zero chemistry in the movies. You're like, nobody has chemistry. So it was nice seeing yeah. like a little between them.
1: Yeah. They, they actually have chemistry.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they do. Nice. And she is more so than I would have expected, just immediately smitten with him and just flirts with him outrageously. Oh, it's like so scandalous. Yeah, like you're is. supposed to be pretending to be married, young lady. And he's like he, she's trying to be a good guy because he he likes her too, but I think he's like she's married. And also, look, the reason I'm here is cuz we're going to have Christmas dinner and it's this famous person and she's like Hey, baby. <laughs> Let's go out to the if, cow if she shed. Could, <laughs> right. If she could
1: pull that tech-savory giant eyes and, you know, tongue rolling down the floor thing, she would. It is interesting that she doesn't appear to have
0: any friends who aren't men. <laughs> it's true.
1: That, that stood out to me a couple of years ago. Like, wait a second.
0: Well, the only other woman in the movie really is Nora. I mean, a little is later Nora. we'll meet the ostensible fiance of Dennis Morgan who's in there for half a second. But I just think they, they I mean, think about it. I mean, movies of this, well, movies, period, tend to have larger casts of men than women anyway. So. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> even in true. romance.
0: even Yeah, which is super <laughs> weird. So almost immediately we've got uh, Barbara and Dennis doing the funny bit of uh, trying to bathe a baby because it's very, again, talk about pushy. Dennis is very pushy. He's like, I want to watch you bathe that baby like why you're not gonna that's disappoint me are you yeah that's just a little yeah, creepy a little mr jones <laughs> merry christmas mr jones he's, i i
1: wrote he's down. been stuck on a raft with this other guy i don't god knows what's what's happened to him in in a present day remake he would be having you know flashbacks and huddled in the corner and oh it'd be terrible
0: and then, uh, so the first baby, it's a girl, uh, but Barbara Sandwick, of course, doesn't know that until she takes a, uh, until till Dennis Morgan takes a look, because she said the baby's name is Robert, but oh, I guess it's Roberta. Sorry, mm-hmm. I misspoke. <laughs> I hate when that happens. And that's the point at which we we get the thing that you were talking about, where Dennis Morgan apparently doesn't know how to diaper a baby. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's so, well, you know, he's like, oh, he's he's an expert at this because he bathed all his sister's kids, and they, they would throw a fit if he didn't take over at bath time. And, and, and she's like, really oh that's great you can do it <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know he's like, all right yeah sure and uh but yeah then he goes to diaper the baby and
0: smash cut the meanwhile the judge is being ushered out the window so because we have to get rid of him <laughs> well, so he felix. can come back later
1: <laughs> felix winds up being your agent of chaos yes because you have to have this sort of magical fairy godfather who fixes everything right Causes a lot of the confusion
2: in the plot, if need be, but it's and all for a
1: good purpose. He
2: knows. He knows. He knows oh, yeah. that Elizabeth is like super. Not he's not in love. He's against the marriage from the beginning, just on principle. So he uses the arrival of the sailor to like push things
0: in a better direction.
1: Yeah, Pudge, you don't want to marry him. Yeah, he's he's it's catastrophe.
0: It's catastrophe. The thing that I love so much about. Zakal in this movie and then the role of Felix, the way it's written is a lot of his movies have him being this sort of goofy guy with an accent that stuff happens to. And he's yes. like, oh, my God, the, the this thing is conspiring against me or this thing is happening. And oh, my God. And, he, you know, all sorts of weird vocalizations and stuff. But he has agency in this movie. He's doing stuff. And you know what his motivations are because he loves Elizabeth and he wants to help her. And he's he's said, all right, I'm going to ride the train along with you. This is a weird plan. I don't want you to get married, and I'm going to kind of conspire to make sure that it doesn't happen, especially once Dennis Morgan comes into the picture. But he's along with her for the ride, and he's capable of making things happen rather than just having weird stuff happen to him. And I think that makes his performance much more interesting.
1: You know, before, before he gets the judge to climb out the window. And the judge, the judge is just so good-natured about everything. <laughs> he's like, oh, this is delightful. And uh, the judge hands him his business card and says, you know, call me when you have when they have time, when they're free, uh, because we need to do this. And Felix, like, OK, yeah, yeah. And as soon as he closes the window, he just tears up the business card and throws it away. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, he he just he's he's magical. He's magical.
0: So uh, Yardley has arrived by this time. Almost everybody is in residence now and they're all going to stay the night. <laughs> Although I, <laughs> Barbara Stamick's going to you know, post up in the guest room, which I don't even know if they've shown her yet. But, uh, and then later on in the night, I, I love when uh, – because cause they're going to try and do, do the marriage again, but they obviously don't want to do it when Sydney Greenstreet and um, Dennis Morgan are around. But they, that's foiled because both of them decide to come downstairs for a snack. So when you're invited over to a house, somebody's house, <laughs> and you've never met these people, do you typically come down to the kitchen and raid the refrigerator? And drink the wine. Oh, always. If you're gonna do it, you should always. definitely do it in the middle of the night.
1: I I tend to do it kind of like Cookie Monster. <laughs> I don't worry about cleanliness or sound. It's just <laughs> and you know, most people are okay with it. I've only been kicked out once. <laughs> um and it's it's a great scene because of course, as in any good farce, she gets dragged in. She's like, What are what are those noises? Well, I'll go look. And then while she's in the kitchen and she's trying to get out, she's like, no,
0: no. I'm She
2: doesn't have to really to want to get out.
1: No, she and doesn't. And they she invite does, her to have, to have a snack married. Married. in her own
0: house. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but before before she can make her escape, all of a sudden there's a cow at the door. there is.
2: <clears throat> she hasn't said and she's like, to
1: it. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> and and Jefferson Jones goes, oh, that must be Makushla. <laughs> What? Your cow. You mentioned it. You you can't. She can't go to sleep until you say good night every night. And again, you know, she can't remember any of the details of her fake life, uh, which presumably she's been writing for a while. And uh, after, I don't know, after about 20 years of watching this movie, I was like, what is Makushla? What is that? It's it's from the Irish. It uh, technically means let me find my note. Oh, good. It technically means my pulse and the pulse of my heart. And then it became sort of condensed down to mean sweetheart or darling. And that's how it's used in a lot of Irish songs and in a lot of stories in Ireland. So it's, it's just sort of a nice little, you know, huh. Magushla.
0: And like the horse later in the movie, apparently all the animals in this movie can just wander around. They're not tied up or confined <laughs> in any way. <laughs>
1: Connecticut's a dangerous place. I
0: know. There's a lot of things I learned about Connecticut that I didn't know, including <laughs> that they square dance. But, or they did in 1945.
1: Well, they didn't have TV. Uh, it was right, a different time. Right. It just...
0: So, yeah, now we, we have a little fun with the cow uh, who, who again, she doesn't remember. She doesn't know how to milk it. She doesn't know how to do anything. She's just hopeless. <laughs>
1: And, they, and, then, and then as they're leading the cow back, they sit down in a gazebo and the cow walks away while they're having a little <laughs> romantic moment.
0: Don't want to interrupt and, your love scene.
1: And, and she says, point blank, are you, you're, you're probably not the type who would kiss a married woman. And he goes, no, I'm not the type that would kiss a married woman.
0: But boy, do they want oh, well. to kiss.
1: And they get real close. She like
0: beats around but, the bush for about five lines. And then at some point she's just like, yeah. do I attract you? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. Well, and she could have fessed up. Of course, this does not work na- narratively at all. But she could have fessed up to him and told him, we have to keep this a secret. But no, we just keep going along in this farce well, and flirt with him like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so she thinks you're a highly immoral married woman.
1: <laughs> if If it were said today, that's probably the way to go. Right. Back then, it would still have been, you know uh like they they do play around with you know here here are all these things that our characters can't normally do in a movie but we can circumvent that by doing it this way
2: well and this will be interesting because we are going to watch the remake i haven't seen that yet but it's like the morality has changed it a lot so if Mm -hmm. if you were telling it as a more modern story the whole you must be married to be in this situation like this house and having all that. And then therefore you have to get married. So I'm curious how they will treat that. But I think
1: because the they, a lot of that one be, is fairly different yeah. yeah,
0: because she doesn't tell him at this point, And then later on we find out that he's, sort of keeping something from her or he's got this this fiance that he has to get yes. rid of he it sort he of makes him it... got engaged so he would get a meal i know right but it, it i think it was the, I think yes. the movie intends it to be some sort of parallel well he's done right. sort of the scammy thing yes. she's done so neither of them can be too mad at the other when it finally comes out i think is the point of that
1: yes <laughs> yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah the the remake is weird it shares the name, it shares some character names uh she's inexplicably elizabeth blaine in the in the remake, and they they basically combine Dudley and Alexander yardley into one character, and he helps her hmm. it's
0: it's weird well', we'll it's weird. we'll 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 but we'll get we'll to get that. to that yeah that's
1: another. That's another show.
0: So, uh, get back to Felix having agency and having something to do in in the movie. So again, Yardley is being pushy, and he really, 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 really wants Barbara Stanwyck to make some pancakes to make to flip some pancakes, and he's very <laughs> insistent. She's like, "No, no, so like, no, you're doing it, pushy."
2: Like's <laughs> like a lot to ask someone,
0: and she you know several times politely is like, You know what i you know there's a lot of people here. I'll just let Nora do it. He's like, no i'm gonna it's it's performative. it's whoa. like, I want you to perform this trick that you have shown that you can do in your column, and then, of course, Felix well, has, then, has to try and teach her how whoa. to do it, and that doesn't go well, which makes a nice comic bit
1: well, even before that you know I was like, well, would Nora would Nora flip one for me?" Oh, no, I scoop them. I don't flip them for no one.
0: (laughs) You keep those legs closed, Nora. (laughs) When someone says flipping,
2: flipping pancakes, I don't even think of it necessarily as tossing them in the air. I would just yeah. be like well you take your spatula and you flip them so I didn't realize at first that it was going to be such a magical trick instead of just like going in and flipping some pan-
0: pancakes right I assume she wrote about it in that way probably
1: he he tries to give the lesson of you know I will show you how to flip flop the flop flips. yes and and she can't do it she messes up the stovetop she gets one stuck to the ceiling this, which he I've catches behind his it. back
0: maybe i should try it which is a nice trick. i've maybe once or twice but not to great success <laughs> yeah it just seems messy
1: i just i just use nonstick pans and flip them gently and it works it's not i use a spatula
2: big.
0: yeah spatula works or two yeah. spatulas even so another day another baby Oopsie! It's blonde, and it's a boy, it's, and so Felix it's a creates a diversion, baby. which is great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the
1: baby! The baby ate the pocket watch. The <laughs> baby ate the pocket watch, and the judge is like, "What is going on?" <laughs> um, and so everybody starts running around and panicking. You oh, know, we should call the doctors. And and Elizabeth goes running in with Felix and the baby, and says, oh my god! And he closes the door and he goes, "Yeah, pish." Takes off his chef's hat, and there's the pocket watch.
0: Before I remembered <laughs> and, and that it, this was a device, I was really mad because it was like, let's call the doctor, let's call the doctor. Could nobody get in a car and go to the doctor? And then I was like, oh, I see. I remember. It's it's not
1: a real thing. <laughs> and I, the, the line, the baby ate the pocket watch has been in my brain since like 1979. <laughs> I love that line for no good reason.
0: Well, Just, it's funny. Baby ate the pocket watch. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and, and, and they even, even some of them are questioning that like, Really? How? How would a baby eat? That's. It was a really big pocket watch. And and when he when he says, "Oh, everything's fine. See, it's
0: still working, <laughs> still ticking." Because nobody knows anything about babies, so it's completely plausible that the baby would <laughs> eat the pocket watch and, and still be crying and still you know not be like gasping or whatever. Hmm. So this is the point that uh, Yardley and Sloane get together and basically Yardley. S- figures that if Barbara Stanwyck has a second baby, that will boost circulation. And of course, Sloan has a part to play in that. And that if Sloan uh, <laughs> makes it happen, uh, then he'll get some uh, opportunity to, to be in the magazine with his architecture uh, plans. So so this gets him involved. Uh, not only does he kind of sort of still want to marry Barbara Stanwyck, but mostly he wants to get the fame and money that being in the magazine would provide. So they're working together at this point, which is just like, all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, Barbara at this point is like, let's just tell him the truth. I I, I want to tell him the truth because this is ridiculous. And he's like, no, no, we're not going to do that because I have a vested interest. We can't possibly tell him the truth.
1: Well, well, he starts out by saying, I'm, I'm going to tell him now. I'm tired of this. And he goes in and Yardley won't let him talk and talks him into the thing. And she says, did you tell him? Goes, no, no, I didn't think it was wise to tell Yardley after all. It's fine.
0: So the next big thing to happen is uh this dance a guy comes over and says hey we're having this community dance let's everybody go and so they do You
1: have you have the great war hero Jefferson Jones and it's a war bonds dance Right
0: and uh so they go to the dance and this is where we have square dancing and Irish reels and just various sort of yeah. down home dance type activities I guess <laughs> Yes. It doesn't really matter. It's always it's all about Jeff and Elizabeth dancing like, together. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. because they are slinking off together <laughs> almost immediately.
2: And, it's like
1: And even though oh. Mr. Yardley, would you would you come and start the, the war bonds auction? And he's distracted because he's he's spotted them. Yeah. And now he sees them leaving, and now he walks along the windows of the building, following them as they're walking outside. And then he follows them when they sit down in the sleigh, and the and the horse just
2: pulls away. So he starts running after them in his coat,
1: and that doesn't end well for and him. And slips
2: on the very fake snow, which <laughs> being filmed in August, I'm like, oh,
0: so that's why the snow was so <laughs> fake. Probably also in filmed in Los Angeles. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, they, they have another romantic opportunity and they get closer and closer. And, uh, you know, while this is going on, the baby's been kidnapped. And
1: uh, Well, Yardley winds up, they, they get arrested right. for stealing a sleigh. So they're out of the picture. They're in jail, Yardley but nobody knows that. His way back, Yardley makes his way back to Sloane's house just in time to see Mrs. Gersig come to take her baby back. And he, of course, just thinks, oh,
0: oh. The smart
1: housekeeping baby is being
0: kidnapped. Here come uh, Elizabeth and uh, Jefferson Jones walking back at seven in the morning, and they haven't been out gallivanting all night. They, oh, we haven't been gallivanting; we've been in jail. Oh, the baby's been <laughs> stolen, and still, like she's still Barbara Sanders, still doing doub- double takes every time something from this lie they've created is told to her. It takes her a minute to go, "Oh yeah, that's right. We have a <laughs> we have a farce going on here. I forgot I was in a farce." <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which, that,
1: that might be my favorite running thing, because in a, in a f- farce, traditionally, your main character is pretty on top of the lies. And and it, the lies build up to the point where they can't keep track of them. She can't keep track of them from, from the day beginning. one.
0: She's just bad at this.
1: Once, once she sees Jeff, she's like... Uh, (laughs) Let's let's end the plot.
0: Let's end the plot. I mean, to be fair, she couldn't keep track before they left New York. So So now it's all starting to unravel. And here comes the uh, fiance, the nurse that was taking care of Jeff so that he could uh, get better food. And uh, she's got something to tell him. She doesn't really get to tell him quite the way she'd want to. But it turns out she's married his buddy that he was on the raft with, which of course gets me. Jeff is completely free, and uh, all all the unraveling happens at once, and everybody gets to you know the bright people get together, and Sloane is probably standing around going, "What happened? I don't understand what's happening." Right?
2: Manufactured <laughs> <lose>. conflict. This <laughs> entire movie is based on manufactured conflict. <laughs> But how else would they have met? Well, it's
1: manufactured with triple wall coatings and and insulation. And I don't know. There's a great running thing where she keeps fondling this porcelain figure in his living room through the whole movie, and she's always tempted to throw it, and people keep stopping her from throwing it. And finally, you know, she and Sloane are having their their final. You know, oh well, I I guess I guess this is it. And and he insults her one too many times and she just picks it up and goes, all right, smash. <laughs> and that's when he goes, well, that's it. And walks away. and <laughs> It's like that was You've gone that was too far.
2: <laughs> that that was the, the last straw. He okay. never wanted to marry her. He just liked the idea of her. What just is, like I, Cecil. I love the, he had an idea of who she was, but didn't really understand. He's Cecil Fies from Room with the View. <laughs> I'm
0: just that's I, my hill to die on right there. I'm not gonna fight you. I on love it. the line yeah.
2: where
1: where he goes, you know, you disrupted my household. Exactly. And she just gets this dreamy look and goes, Yeah, I did, <laughs>
0: <you?"> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Felix is pretty unhappy. Before we resolve everything, uh, Felix is mad beca- and he, he, he delivers the line that I love. I won't cook for somebody who's not nice to my friends, which <laughs> <That then> sums <laughs> up Felix pretty well. I mean,
2: yeah. I want a Felix is, to A say. good life and,
0: philosophy. I think so, too. And it's it's wonderful because you have Felix,
1: who's the one who's the connective tissue through all of this. As everything unravels and everything gets discovered, he's the one who tells everyone all the things they need to know. Right. By that point. And so he's the one who goes I need to keep yardley in the house. I'm going to go cook something cuz he's trying to leave and as soon as he he gets away he goes I'm hungry and just <laughs> leaves and walks away and goes into the kitchen. And and that's where Felix sets him up. He's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm making kidneys, but no, they're for 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 someone I I like. It's not for you. It's not for you." Well, what, what could I get you to, to give me? You know, <laughs> You're cooking kidneys. How could you do that? He goes, cook your own cook kidneys. <laughs> and I've never done this as a back and forth with voices before. This is wild. Anyway, um, and yeah, he's the one who says, oh, well, I, I got this telegram last night. And he pulls out a telegram that is about uh food orders for Restaurant Felix. And he goes, I read it to you. This is an offer from American Housekeeping, your rival who will take... Uh, offering miss lynn a great contract and, and he goes what what they're trying to steal her <laughs> and so felix basically negotiates not only keeping her job but giving her a raise and you know he's the one who tells the the nurse and he's the one who tells jeff that oh no she married your buddy on the raft and everything is felix setting this up but meanwhile, Elizabeth is off packing and has no idea any of this is going on. And Yardley goes in. He's like, "Well, I'm, I'm." Uh, when uh, what is it? Sloan says to him, "You know, well, I, I guess uh, we're still going to do that thing." You know, my my column about architecture and everything is. I'm only interested in one contract, the Elizabeth Lane contract. And he goes, he knocks on her door, and she says, "Come in," and. He, he tries to sweet talk her, you know, oh, yes, I'm going to give you a raise. And, and she rips into him. She goes, you listen to me. I'm tired of being told who to marry. I'm being tired of being told to have a baby. I'm tired of being told what to do. In short, I'm, I'm tired. Which is basically Madeline Kahn's song from Blazing Saddles 30 years later. And, um, and it cracks me up every time. And so he's, he's like, oh, she you can't, you can't speak to her. And Jeff goes in and he's like, trust me, boys, this is, I'll handle this. I'll take this part now. And he goes in there and they try to listen and they're like, why, why aren't they talking? They're not
2: talking. Why aren't they talking? And
1: perps. cut to the two right? of them <laughs> kissing. And she's like, what are you doing? Is I changed my mind. Now I am the type who likes to kiss married women. <laughs> and she's horrified. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's he's messing with her a little bit taming of the shrew style. And uh
0: Yeah, he's a little forceful in that scene, like just right on the it's a edge. A little of, bit too much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's
0: it's a little uncomfortable.
2: Uh he kind like but she set up this entire lie and then flirted with him oh, totally. like very totally. hard, putting him in a super <laughs> oh, know, awkward I position. Know, it's true. So I was
0: like, she totally deserves this.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, she and, she and made he her and he
0: does. He knows that she wants him, and it's not his ego. Mm-hmm. He's he's playing a game with yes. her because she played a game with him it yes. first. It's not like the Clark Gable school of "you want me, baby, you just don't know it." <laughs> no, she was very clear that she wants him. <laughs> yeah. So it all ends up happily ever after. And and but so what I want like because because she's made this speech to Yardley and basically stood up for herself, presuming she had. Other options. And but I guess she's probably going to stick with what she's doing, because I I don't know what uh, Dennis Morgan does for a living, but I doubt he makes as much money as Elizabeth Lane does. So, yeah, well, and now if she gets married, she can have the life and pretend maybe I don't
2: know, she can still pretend to. Have a farm, and that's a good question.
0: Is she going to pretend to have a farm, or is she going to do cooking on the radiator in New York City, or uh, (laughs) maybe, maybe somehow she and and Dennis will find a way to buy a farm? She'll sell the mink. I don't know. They they did (laughs) go from
2: like first kiss to getting married.
0: Right, right. It's like the judge is right over here. The judge is back. Let's get married, and they're like, Like, come on, no. Date? Has anyone heard about dating? Dating a little bit? Do we? Do are we compatible? Do you want to even get out of your uniform jacket first? I I don't know. Okay.
2: Yeah, let's get him out of his uniform. <laughs> we don't right. need a wedding night for that.
1: And then and then she looks at him out of his uniform and goes, "Oh, oh no, no, that wouldn't happen."
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and of course, it finishes off with Sydney Greenstreet as everything has has come to pass everything is fine everything's fixed and he just starts laughing goes what a christmas (laughs) what a christmas and that's the fade out and it's so sinister (laughs)
0: because it's sydney green street
1: but i love it oh sydney
0: he he's he was perfectly cast i love having him in this movie oh yeah because and it also it seems like a sort of a, a a a way to i mean he's well, I guess he and Felix together are sort of the Santa Claus character, mm-hmm. but but Sydney yeah. is not Santa Claus by any means. But you, I, I love the visual aspect, and as, as it is a contradiction to his personality, and it's delightful. Well,
1: in in a way, you know, he's he's the rich tycoon who can make anyone's wishes come true, and Felix is the smart, the smart magical fairy godfather who actually makes them happen. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of a, you know, you've split Santa into yep. two parts. It's it's just such a lovely film.
2: The version I watched came with like an introduction, and it said that they didn't expect this movie to do much. It was just like meant to be a, huh, here's a fun movie, oh, yeah. and expected to it disappear. It was to supposed disappear. to be a B picture, yeah. But I, it's it like, yeah, main, I can I can thing. see that. Like it's it's fun. It's kind of silly. It's not deep. It's not. I think trying to teach us anything in particular, but like if you look at the whole like plethora of of Christmas movies out now, that's not what apparently we want in this time of the year. We just want like silly <laughs> drama, manufactured conflict, romance, some kissing that's all
0: it's it's like that this this gives it. Released as an August Christmas movie, it probably wasn't yeah. even their plan that it's the main Christmas movie they did. Although Christmas movies, yeah. they certainly had them in the 40s, but they weren't quite the industry they are now. I mean, Miracle 40 34th Street, you'll get a couple years later. It's a Wonderful Life, you'll get the next year. But it wasn't like, hey, we have to have 37 Christmas movies every year, which, well, now that we yeah. have to cable, be fair, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need 47 Christmas no, movies I, I, in I a year. That. I agree with that.
2: <laughs> and some and, of them and it's are definitely worse than others it's it's so low
1: stakes, it, yeah, it has the you know it has the rhythms of screwball comedy, but it's not Preston Sturgis it's not it happened one night it's not bringing up baby, but you know it's it's pleasant and it's fun, and it's smart characters saying smart dialogue in and out of each of of of, of others lines and like I said, it it's sweet, but it has that tart and that sly sense of humor to and it. And it
0: doesn't tell me it's, what or how to feel at Christmas, which a lot of movies right. do. Mm-hmm. There's the closing act that really wants you to feel a certain way about family and Christmas and the true meaning of Christmas and all that kind that of stuff. Girl, like, and this movie isn't into that.
1: And, you know, it's it doesn't make a big deal about which day is Christmas. I, it was maybe... 25 years ago when I actually figured out the timeline of what day each thing is happening on in the movie. And so they, they spend Christmas night in jail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the night they're in
2: jail. Which, what what Christmas movies do that anymore? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Uh, no, because by Christmas, everything is supposed to be resolved and you're having a ma- magical moment where we're holding hands around the Christmas tree and right. feeling Right. That's your special. fade out scene. Right. right. And then we kiss. Now,
1: one thing it's it sort of jumped out at me a couple of years ago, and then paying attention today, it really was like, wait a second, because and this is this is totally as the writer, this is totally from you know studying farce. Uh, there is a point late in the movie. I guess it's Christmas morning, and the judge is there again, and Yardley walks in just before they're about to do this. Now the judge has already said. He knows they're not married. He's the one who, you know, I can't. I I feel like I have to come back because I can't let that go, right? You wanted to be married, and yet Yardley walks in, and her instant, her instant improv on the spot is, "Oh, we we got married on Christmas morning, and we renew our vows every year, right in front of the judge. You <laughs> know, they're not married, and today it was like." Wait a second! No, right? No. So, so that's one thing I would fix in the adaptation.
0: So she I'm improv- sure that the adaptation she's going to forget that detail later. That yeah. she's not going to remember it. Mm-hmm.
2: And I'm sure the adaptation well, and- fixes all of these pieces. <laughs> oh no!
1: That the the remake does
0: None of that. No. Oh, uh, you don't trust Arnold Schwarzenegger but- to fix all the plot holes?
1: I will say I whatever else. Just on an acting level, Arnold actually does a good job as a director. They're all quite charming. So I can, I can say that much. I don't want to spoil anything no, else about it. No, don't spoil it. No, as, as we're speaking but here, we're going to watch that in
0: a few days with, a, with the group. And uh, I, I can't wait because I have, I have purposely charming. avoided any, I didn't watch any kind of trailers. I made sure I could watch it. But other than that, I'm staying and, away from it.
1: And I mean, really, if, if you're used to... The modern hallmark movies if you've never seen this 1945 version it's fine it's perfectly fine it's it's charming and lovely and fun and you know um but no if if i were going to adapt it even just as a play i would still set it in the time period because there are just some things that work better in 1945 but i would fix that detail because that that bugs me as the writer. It's like, no, no.
0: Mm. It's also, it bugs you because you've seen it so damn many times. That's why it bugs you. Maybe.
2: <laughs> Maybe. I just thought the judge was like, so jovial and probably not super smart and just sort of was like,
0: well, yeah, well okay, sure, okay, okay, right, you know, he,
2: he starts off getting
1: suckered by Felix saying, you know, the first time, it's like, I fix you two martinis. He goes, no, two Manhattans. <laughs> so we're like, oh, the judge likes a little bit of, uh, you know. On the side so you keep the judge a little pixelated through the whole thing then he's not paying that close attention
0: and he's yeah he he's not really a character that's he's not getting on a moral high horse and saying we have to do this he's there when he's needed he's not there when they want to get rid of him and he so he's the least interestingly enough he's the least pushy character everybody else in the movie is (laughs) pushing one way or another but the (laughs) judges is like all right y'all want to get married great i'm here to i'm here to help you I'm not here to force you to do anything, but I know you want to get married, so I'm here to make it happen. Because I'm a small town judge. I'm a nice guy. And I like Manhattan.
1: I think part of why I love the movie is that I I do have a connection to it because my mother loved it. Mm. And one of the things she loved most about it was that speech at the end where Barbara Stanwyck finally just snaps. And she's like, you know what? You need to shut up and listen to me. And, you know and it is it is a really nice little speech the the whole you know i'm tired of being told what to do i'm tired of this i'm tired of that
2: and honestly yeah. what's the big deal she's been making it up and nobody across the country even knows yeah. or care like knows that it's made up and probably they might care if they found out but i mean it's working for you just keep doing it just be like i guess it's fiction yeah.
0: sydney greenstreet's the only one who really cares
1: <laughs> and i mean he he makes point blank that you know his his uh, rivals have started doing a column from a Betsy Lane or or Betsy Kane, Betsy Kane. And, you know, yeah, the readers don't care. The reader, the readers are like, Oh, the names are almost exactly the same. What are the odds? (laughs) No, they're not doing
2: that. It's also one of those things where I was like, yeah, this is a thing when you don't have the same level of technology and communications that, that is so much easier to pull off than now. Yeah, nobody's going to be now doxing have, her
0: or going yeah. to her house or Google her. Or like,
2: her. where's your Instagram? And wow, those look like stock <laughs> photos that someone else took. And you know, just this is a I time mean, period when that kind of deception works.
1: I I will say, I can see a fun way of doing it in the present day. With oh, for sure, all that stuff that would be fun to write. Call me, anyone. I'm out here. I'll do it. Um,
0: it'll be better
1: than the remake. Um, <laughs> Will it be a musical? Be no, no.
0: Mm. Mm. We'll see. Well, on, on not that opposed. note, uh, I, I want to thank you, Annette Wierstra, David J. Lohr. Thank you so much for joining me for a chat about Christmas in Connecticut. Next time, because we can't leave Barbara Sandwick alone, we'll be back with Ball of Fire, the delightful 1941 <sighs> movie with Barbara and Gary Cooper. So much fun. This is another one of those. It's funny because when we do these episodes, I invite Incomparable members to join in. And Christmas in Connecticut and Ball of Fire were were the movies about which people have been jumping through the slack to try and get on. And for (laughs) for a couple of reasons, we didn't have a large group today that we expected to have. But I'm telling you, when those Barbara Stanwyck movies come, the, the Incomparable comes out in force. So that's fun. Thanks, you guys, for being with me. And we'll see you in a couple weeks.